This morning we open God's Word in two passages from the Old Testament, both of them from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, 10 through 20, and then Genesis chapter 20, and that chapter will be our text for this morning. Genesis 12, 10 through 20. That's page 11 in your pew Bible if it's the same edition as I have. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he sent to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, female ser male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her, and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now we turn to Genesis chapter 20, which will be the text for this morning. page 18. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her, 
Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought, there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech, because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So far. After the sermon, we'll sing Psalm, hymn 53, hymn 53, 1 and 2. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I trust that we all know what a repeat offender is. It's someone who does the same bad thing more than once, sometimes very often. In the jails, there are many, many repeat offenders. And we often look down on repeat offenders. We think to ourselves, well, didn't they learn their lesson the first time? Shouldn't they have known better? We often consider them especially morally bad. But did you know that Abraham, the father of all believers, was a repeat offender? He did the same bad and stupid thing twice. Twice he told that tale 
that Sarah was his sister. He did it when he faced Pharaoh in Egypt, and he also did it when he faced Abimelech in Gerar. Now, that does not mean that the message of both of these passages is exactly the same. In fact, Genesis 20 has its own particular color precisely because this is a repeat offense. And therefore, it also has its own particular application for us. Because guess what? Every single one of us here this morning is a repeat offender. We do the same bad and stupid things so many times. Sins of thought, sins of word, sins of deed. We do the same things so often in the little things of life and sometimes also in the big things of life. We're all repeat offenders. And that's why we need to hear this morning the message of this particular passage, because it's full of comfort for repeat offenders. So our theme this morning is Abraham the repeat offender in Gerar, Abraham's faithlessness, and God's faithfulness. We'll know three things. First of all, repeated temptation. Secondly, repeated failure. And thirdly, repeated rescue. Abraham, the repeat offender in Gerar, Abraham's faithlessness and God's faithfulness. We note repeated temptation, repeated failure, and repeated rescue. Now let's back up a little bit. I realize that we're jumping into the book of Genesis, and perhaps you are not aware of the context. Why did Abraham move to Gerar? Gerar was in the land of the Philistines. Why did he go there? Well, in Genesis chapter 19, you can read that the Lord God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And you may know that there was a conversation between Abraham and those heavenly messengers, and Abraham pleaded for Sodom and Gomorrah. But in the end, the Lord destroyed those cities because there were so few righteous there. And Abraham was able to see from the vantage point where he was the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So where he was, he had a constant reminder of that sad and terrible event. Perhaps he moved because he didn't want to be faced with that all the time. It was an awful reminder. Perhaps he moved because he needed more land to graze his cattle. We really can't say for sure. But he went to Gerar, to the land of the Philistines. Now it's interesting and important that Genesis 20 tells us that he sojourned in Gerar. He was a sojourner there. A sojourner is someone who does not have a permanent residence there. It's someone who doesn't own land, he doesn't own property, he doesn't own a house. He's there, but he's not really there. He doesn't really belong there. And if you think about it, 
We're all sojourners. In his first letter, Peter tells us that we are sojourners. As Christians, we are in the world, but not of the world. Yes, we involve ourselves in the issues of the day. We're concerned about the well-being of our society. But we have a different perspective. We are a different people because we believe in Jesus Christ, and that gives us a whole different set of priorities, a whole different outlook on life. So we are in the world, but not of the world. We are sojourners here. And that's not easy. Abraham had difficulty with being a sojourner. That was his problem, both in Egypt and also in Gerar. Because when you are a sojourner, you sense that you don't belong. And that can fill you with fear. So Abraham, both in Egypt and in Gerar, was faced with the problem that he was confronted with a very powerful ruler who would probably want his wife. That's what they did in those days. Someone passed through, the ruler, the potentate, could take whatever he wanted, including the wife. So there was the repeated temptation what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? And for him, the temptation was to, to come up with the solution of saying that Sarah was his sister. It was dangerous for him. And he faced the prospect of loss, the prospect of losing his own life to clear him out of the way so that the ruler could take his wife. Well, isn't that also a danger for us today, congregation, to struggle with being a sojourner and want to, to make it easy on ourselves, to accommodate ourselves to the situation, to find our own solution, to kind of wiggle and worm our way out of the situation so that we can come through this with our skin intact. Christians are different. We have different priorities, we have different values, we have a different way of life, different way of spending our time, spending our money. And if we stand up for what we believe, people can become very critical. And if not critical, then certainly derisive. What's wrong with you? Why do you hold that value? Maybe we'll lose standing in the community. Maybe we'll even lose that promotion at work. Maybe even the job. And in some parts of this world, as you all know, Christians are actively persecuted for their faith. They risk losing their very lives. So being a sojourner is not easy. And Abram struggled with it. We struggle with it. There was that repeated temptation for Abraham, but we are also faced with repeated temptations every day. How are we going to handle our sojournership? Are we going to be true to who we are as Christians 
as the people of God. Well, Abraham came up with this ruse. He said to Sarah, both in Egypt and in Gerar, just say, you're my sister. The Bible tells us that Sarah was still a beautiful woman, even at her advanced age. And this was their solution. So in the face of that repeated temptation, there was this repeated failure. They found their own solution and did their own thing. And how does that happen? It happens when we lose focus on the kingdom of God. It happens when we lose focus on the promises and the power of God. Now, we read two passages this morning, and Abram and Sarah did the same thing at both times. But this time was worse. And that's why I said earlier, this chapter has its own color. The situation was not exactly the same. The issue, the problem may have been the same, but the context was different because in Egypt, well, that was back in Genesis 12. And in Gerar, that was in Genesis 20. And a lot had happened in the meantime. Just think about that for a moment. In Genesis chapter 15, the Lord had established his covenant with Abraham. And maybe you remember that there was that smoking fire pot and that flaming torch that passed between those halves of animals that were cut up as a sign that the Lord himself guaranteed his promises, that Abraham could count on God to protect him and to be with him and to, to help him. Then in Genesis chapter 17, the Lord gave Abraham the sign and seal of his covenant promises, circumcision. Abraham could see in his own body that the Lord had given him promises and that the Lord would be faithful to those promises. And God had said in Genesis 17, verse 7, I will be God to you and to your descendants after you throughout their generations. I will be your God. And then in Genesis chapter 18, you can read that the Lord had said to Abraham and Sarah, that Sarah would give birth to a child a year from then. All of that should have been front and center in Abram's mind in Genesis chapter 20. He didn't have to be filled with fear. He should have been filled with faith. He had God's promises. He had the backing of God's power. And he should have realized that in Gerar, as dangerous as the situation was, his life was secure because God was going to work through him to bring that son into the world. The fulfillment of his promise. But Abram and Sarah came up with this ruse. And in doing so, Abraham jeopardized, if I may say it like that, you can never really jeopardize anything God promises. But speaking in human language now, Abraham jeopardized God's promise because 
by doing what he did in order to save his own skin, Abram actually made it easier for Abimelech to take Sarah, his wife, away from him. And if that would happen, how would the promised child be born from them? His ruse jeopardized the fulfillment of the promise. How could they do that? It's because fear overwhelmed their faith. If you had asked them, do you believe the promises of God? They would have said, of course. Of course we believe. But you see, it was a theoretical knowledge for them. It was up here in their head. And the problem was, it did not get hands and feet in their lives. There was a disconnect. It did not impact their decisions and their actions. And really, that amounted to a lack of faith. Unbelief. At those moments, faith was absent in their lives. Perhaps an imagery will help in understanding this. Think of faith as a dotted line. So there are times when we are strong in the faith, we stand for what we believe, we speak up for what we stand for. That's when there's that line. But then there are times when when we lose sight of God's promises and God's power, and that line is interrupted. There's a break. But then there's another time when we're strong again and you have a line, so you have a line, a blank, a line, a blank. That's faith like a dotted line. And that's how it is in our lives as Christians. Our faith is not one solid black line that runs continuously. Sadly, so often it's like that dotted line. And that's what was happening here with Abram and Sarah. We have exactly the same. So often we make our decisions, we do the things we do, without taking into account enough God's promises, the priorities of his kingdom. And then at those moments, our faith is absent. So what are we supposed to do? What should Abram and Sarah have done? The answer to this is to focus on Jesus Christ, to have Christ at the center of our lives and Christ at the center of our decisions and our actions. And we need to realize that that was really the issue here. That was really the solution for Abram and Sarah as it is for us today. Because that promised child that God had spoken of to Abram and Sarah would be the child from whom would come the Christ. And Abram would have been well aware of that promise that God had made long ago about the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. The Old Testament patriarchs understood all of that in shadow form and not in their, in their full 
glory, those promises, but they had some idea. And when Abram and Sarah said to Abimelech that they were not married, in essence, they were disavowing God's promise about the Christ. And that makes me think of Peter. You remember Peter in the courtyard and someone said, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? And then Peter said, oh no, I don't know him. I don't belong to him. He said it three times, three times. Peter was a repeat offender. He was faced with the repeated temptation, experienced the repeated failure. And when we make decisions and take actions contrary to God's revealed will, we in essence do the same. It's like we're saying, oh, I'm not a Christian. I don't belong to Jesus Christ. He doesn't rule my life. When we do things in our relationships, let's say in dating, when we make choices that would not please God, we are in essence disavowing Christ. When we do things in our leisure activities that are not pleasing to God, when we keep friends that would not be pleasing to God, maybe even when we take a job which would not be pleasing to God, we are in essence disavowing Christ. You see, that's the heart of it here. Christ and God's promises in Christ need to be at the heart and center of all our deliberations and decisions. And that was missing when Abram and Sarah developed that ruse. And so we see repeated temptation, repeated failure, faithlessness. We see it in Abram, and we see it on ourselves. But although we see Abram's faithlessness, we see God's faithfulness, because God came to the rescue. God saved Abram and Sarah from that predicament that they put themselves into. He prevented Abimelech from taking Sarah. In fact, the Lord said to Abimelech in a dream, I watched over this situation and I did not let you touch her. So there is repeated rescue because God also rescued them in Egypt from that same situation when Pharaoh took Sarah. Repeated rescue. And that's the Lord's faithfulness. So Sarah was given back to Abraham. We read that Abimelech and his household were plagued with impotence and infertility. They became sick. And that was the Lord's way of keeping Abimelech away from Sarah. And that's also a significant detail in this passage because in chapter 21 we're going to read that the Lord fulfilled his promise to those elderly people, Abram and Sarah, by giving them 
Isaac as the promised son. And this chapter already shows us that the Lord God is the God who controls fertility. And then Abimelech confronted Abraham. And Abraham, the friend of God, who had conversations with God, had to hear from this pagan that the Lord had watched over him and had protected his promise and the life of Abraham and Sarah. Think about that. This heathen had to set Abraham straight. Why did you do this? And then we think about ourselves. Sadly, sometimes unbelievers need to set believers straight. They watch us. They see what we do. They know about our business dealings. They know about our leisure activities. Perhaps they even know about our sexuality and our marriages. And sometimes they have to say to us, why are you doing what you are doing? How does your Christianity show from what you are doing? Where's your integrity? And it's a sad thing when that has to happen. So there stood Abraham in front of Abimelech, in front of God as a guilty man. Guilty. But the Lord was still going to continue with Abraham. The Lord was still going to fulfill his promise toward Abraham because through that promised son, Isaac, would come the Savior who would suffer and die for the sin and guilt of Abraham and all his descendants. And then very remarkably we read that the Lord said to Abimelech that Abraham would pray for him for his health. That's really remarkable. You'd think that Abraham would need someone to pray over him because of what he had done. Abraham was in the wrong. Abimelech really didn't know that Sarah was his wife. And yet, the Lord said that Abraham would pray for Abimelech. How can that be? There's only one reason for it. And that is because the Lord God, in his grace, established that covenant relationship with Abraham. It was not because Abraham was better than Abimelech. It was not that Abraham was a better person. It was because God, in his sovereign good pleasure, had reached out to Abraham and had revealed to him his promise. And that's true for us today, too. We are by nature not better than anyone else. And we struggle with sin. We struggle with repeated temptation. We struggle with repeated failure. And the people in the world, they see that. They see our problems. They see our missteps. And they have enough stones to throw at us. Christians.
But God, in His grace, continues with us. The gospel is about Jesus Christ and forgiveness. He does not hold our sins against us, says Psalm 103, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And what a blessing that is. And then we read that interesting fact that Abimelech presented Abraham with many animals, many male and female servants, and also 1,000 pieces of silver. That is so crucial in this chapter. What Abimelech was doing was redeeming Sarah. He was in essence saying, by giving Abraham all those things, she's innocent. She did nothing wrong. She's not guilty. No intercourse took place. And he was trying to cover her shame. In fact, he says that explicitly within the context of those 1,000 pieces of silver. We read in verse 16, To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a 1,000 pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. This was redemption money. Abimelech was trying to redeem Sarah. And then think back to Peter's first letter to which I already referred earlier. In 1 Peter chapter 1, you read that God sent his son into the world to redeem his people, not with silver or gold, but with his own precious blood. God sent Jesus Christ into the world to cover the sin and guilt and shame of Abraham and Sarah and all of us. That's the gospel of salvation. And the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12 that the Lord Jesus came into the world enduring the cross, despising the shame. He took our guilt and shame upon himself and he carried it to the cross. That's why this passage is so comforting for each one of us. We are all repeat offenders. We all face repeated temptation. We all experience repeated failure. We stumble every day. But although we are so often faithless, God is faithful. He comes to our rescue repeatedly. He extracts us from bad situations that we put ourselves in. And above all, he came to the rescue once and for all when he sent his son to die for our sins. And each one of us may confess that our guilt and shame is covered in the blood of Christ. Amen.